Stepping in for Tim Weisberg, who is out covering the Celtics. I'm in the studio here with Matt Costa, and uh, we're going to be bringing you a little bit of a show here about a passing of a uh, a person that was very prominent in the paranormal field, Mr. Hans Holzer. Maddie, yes, I know you've. Uh, Got a couple of books of uh, Mr. Holzer's. What have you think of his work? Uh, I, he did have some uh, different ideas, um, a lot of traditional ideas when it came to paranormal investigating and uh, just the theory of the paranormal in general. Well, he had over 150 books, I believe, on the subject. Uh, he authored several plays. I mean, right. he, he was a, a renaissance man. He had the, his own TV show that you mentioned? Yeah, uh, 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 was, was that his own, or was that um, did he just co-host? Or I believe he was just the host of it. Uh, as with most networks, they uh, they uh, own the rights. To that things. was before before I got into the paranormal. So. Yeah, before a lot of us <laughs> did actually. Uh, tonight's guest is actually going to be Christopher Balzano. He's the author of Picture Yourself: Ghost Hunting and Dark Woods. Cults, Crime, and Paranormal in the Freetown State Forest, and a handful of other books. Uh, his website is mass parent, uh, sorry, masscrossroads.com, and uh, he is also one of the founders of pararelations.com. Um, he's been a guest on the show numerous times. I think I've heard of this guy before. Yeah, I, uh, I think pe- most people call him uh, you know, the puck wedgie guy. Yeah, the puck wedgie guy. Yeah, the puck he's wedgie al- he's guy. also the uh, news editor of uh, ghostvillage.com. Yes, he is, actually. Um, he's... You know, been a friend of ours for years. Yeah. And if you uh, if you go to ghostvillager.com, there, uh, Chris Balzona wrote a uh, a, a nice uh, obituary for yes. Hans Holzer. Very, ver- um, very good. I, I think it's right on the the front page, or at least there's a link on it uh, on the the front page of ghostvillage.com. Yeah, so go to ghostvillage.com and uh, check out Christopher's obit or homage to uh, Mr. Holzer. Uh, very well written. And uh, what else do we have planned for tonight? That's pretty much it. We have a short show given yeah. the um, the Red Sox, but they did win. Yeah, so over the over the race. So well, <laughs> there are bright sides to it. Well, I guess uh, since we're throwing out websites, might as well throw it on our own, right? Sure. Yeah, you can f- check out us at www.spookysouthcoast.com or our MySpace at myspace.com/slash. Spooky South Coast, send a friend request or just check it out. Or uh, on this Twitter.com at uh, SpookySC. Yep. That's a new thing. Yep. We're jumping on the bandwagon. 
Well, trying to keep up with the times, yeah. you know. And we also have our electronic newsletter. If you want to sign up for that, that's going to start uh, being produced on a regular basis. Hopefully, if things work out right with us in technology, people know us in technology uh, can oh, yeah. sometimes get a little quirky, especially here at the studio. Those who want to go on the uh, have, sign up for the uh, Spooky South Coast newsletter. Um, you can go to our ma- the main website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Go down, just fill out the little form at the bottom, and then um, whenever we get around to sending one, <laughs> you'll get it, <laughs> which will be nice. Yeah. Well, it's nice to get an email. Y- yeah, it I, is. You know. Yeah. We, I, granted, you and I, we as well as some, we get them all the time from our listeners, uh, and we'd love to read some of the stuff that we get. We, Both we do, good and bad. <laughs> that's one thing we should mention. We do read every single email that we get. We may not uh, respond to it, but may, we do get it. Yeah, mainly we because we have day jobs. and uh, We actually do get a, a fair response to, in terms of emails. We can't really right. get to them all, but we do read them all when we get the chance. We're kind of lazy. Yeah, well, I'm not going to go any further than that. <laughs> I, I mean... Anybody that's met us knows that we are definitely a very busy crew. Uh, for sure, but we are grateful for you know whatever you guys sent. Okay. Now um, we're gonna have Chris when we come back. I believe we're gonna be taking a break in a little bit, yep. and then we'll have him online. What else have we got planned um, coming up for future shows and things like that that you know of many? Because I've been out in the field for what the past month. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not totally sure. We do have to have those uh, the uh, the Dead Society. Yes, uh, Society of the Dead. Yeah, I know. On so. because of that mishap. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago. Well, we can have keys now. <laughs> we do. We, it's, <laughs> that, uh, it's a lot less embarrassing now that we have a key. We can actually say that we are a real uh, radio show. Well, the scary part is before we actually had plenty of people in the studio when we would come. And then the day we got here, we found out everybody else was pretty much fired and laid off. And <laughs> nobody let us know that the doors were going to be locked so we could come in. To, you know, it was like we're the only live people, I guess, still in the studio. Everything else is all automated. Is. Why don't we take a break? And bring Mr. Yep. Balzano up? Sure. Yep. If uh, anyone would like to share their... Um Maybe uh, the books that they've read by Hans Holzer or... Any stories of meeting him and conversing with him? Um, You can give us a call, 508-996-0500, or from Wareham in the Cape, 508-291-0500. So with that, we'll be right back. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Matt Moni is here, Matt Costa behind the board, and joining us on the line is Christopher Balzano, and uh, we'll be talking to him in a moment. Matty? Yes. Now, what did, what did you think when you heard that Hans had died? Well, I didn't know him personally. <laughs> okay. I, I never had the pleasure of meeting him, but... Um, as far as I know, he was he was still active in the community up, pretty much up until his his death, and uh, I I just thought it was sad that I never actually got to go out to see one of his lectures or have him on the show. Well, we did so, have Alex on the did. show, uh, and uh, she she was a a delight to have. I mean, she's very 
vibrant, very, you know, she she definitely could hold her own in a conversation. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, growing up with uh, Hans Holzer as her father, I'm sure, you know, this is stuff that she was forced to have to deal with, you know, growing up, at, you know, famous father like him and all of this, you know. And, of course, you know, being a kid, she would be interested in what, what he's doing and things like that. So, yeah. Why don't we bring Chris up online? Hey, Chris. How are you doing? Hey, Matthew. How are you doing tonight? Uh, flying the ship by myself. I got that. How come, I, how come I'm only being brought on when the uh, the second team's in? How come, how come I don't get the big dog interviewing me anymore? Because uh, right now he's, you know, interviewing Celtics. <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you. But actually, you and I get some good conversations going, so I'm always happy to talk to you. just happens to be a radio on this time, right? Yeah, so that means we get to watch what we actually say. <laughs> Try not to offend. So, uh, why not? It's more fun that way. Uh, oh, that's true. I read what you wrote about um, Mr. Holzer, and uh, a very, very good little obit uh, to him here. Uh, you did a very good job with that, and it pretty much yeah. captures what he did. Thank you very much. I mean, you know, it's, it's for those of you who haven't read it. Uh, it's at www.ghostvillage.com uh, backslash news. And it was written as an obit, you know, uh, tribute page um, because his passing was news. And I think that, um, you know, we were able to get uh, Brad Steiger uh, to comment on it. And uh, we're hoping that some other people would. But it's one of those situations where so many of the people working today directly got a lot of their inspiration from him. And so, you know, he had to kind of be acknowledged as that kind of spark for many people. Uh, he definitely sparked a lot of people in this particular, including myself, in this genre. Um, his were some of the first works, obviously, I started reading. I know from talking with the Warrens that they were, you know, friends with him and they shared a lot of his views and not all of them and stuff like that. But everybody respected this man, whether they, you know, believed everything he wrote or not is another story. But they all, everybody undoubtedly respected him. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I believe I read last night as I was kind of running through the newswire that um, even James Randi's come out and said, maybe I've got that wrong, but I believe I read that James Randi even came out and kind of paid his respect. We all know that those two butted heads quite often, especially yes. in the early days. Yes. Uh, but, it, I mean, he, he went to... Um, Oh, let's see. I believe it was University of Vienna and studied ar archaeology and ancient history. So that gave him a background on, you know, what things were like back in the day. And then he got a um, his Ph.D. in parapsychology from the uh, London Applied Sciences. So um, he, he was a scholarly man, a road, a road scholar, as some people may put it, because of the way he would travel around and get degrees in various places and for various studies and stuff, but uh, intellectually, he was definitely um, <laughs> a giant. I mean, anybody yeah, that I, writes 150-something books and uh, several musicals and films and documentaries, yeah, he's got a few brain cells to rub together. Yeah, and I think that the, uh, the thing that surprised people the most, especially when they met him, um, was that he had great warmth. Um, and then he had a great uh, personality, and, he, and that personality is kind of touched all throughout his writing, which is, you know, so uh, sometimes that's not what we're looking for in a, in a paranormal writer. We're looking for the straightforward story. We're looking for the um, the facts. And, 
you know, he wasn't just about the facts. He was about what I always talk about, and I talk about with you guys all the time, on Spooky South Coast, which is the heart of the haunting mm-hmm. and its impact on the people who are experiencing it. And I think that that's what he'll both be remembered for is those stories, not necessarily his techniques, because the odd thing is, um, and I heard a lot of it this week, um, because people were emailing me, you know, for my obit and, you know, the, the word was getting out. Um, <laughs> most paranormal investigators today uh, actually go against most of the things that he talked about. He himself was not a equipment person. Um, he himself was not, you know, was very much into psychics, which, you know, spits in the face of a lot of investigators that are out there now. Um, and yet they remember the stories uh, and reading his books and remembering, you know, that, that but like I said before, that spark that got them into investigating. So even though they weren't using his techniques and his methods, they were definitely kind of calling upon that or being kind of brought to the, brought to the field by those stories and that, and that impact that he had on people. Well, he brought the humanity to haunting in a certain sense. He, he brought the human story to it as well as, as well as his investigations. Yes, true, he, he was more comfortable bringing in a various psychic mediums or just using his own intuitions and stuff like that or bit, very basic cameras and the, the occasional pocket recorder. But his main focus was on using himself as the tool or the human body as the tool for discerning what was going on. Yeah, it was, it's really, um, <laughs> and of course, he might have been a little bit of out of touch with how investigators or the access investigators had to equipment, but in a, an interview, and I believe in 2005, um, with Jeff Belanger, uh, you know, Jeff Belanger said, but isn't a Geiger counter a lot easier? And he's like, well, I find, you know, an intuitive is, is a lot easier to find. And, uh, and that's just kind of showing that, you know, that, that kind of, you know, focused more on the humans, both as investigators and the investigator, using what's human about them to, to find the paranormal than to rely on equipment, which is, uh, which is something that I think that the, the field is shifting more towards uh, again. You know, I think that for a long time, and, and the great thing about, about, um, about being able to honor someone and pay tribute to them is that it brings up all of their influence. So we're again able to look at people like Harry Price and and some of the giants that kind of uh, paved, you know paved the path for for Hans himself or Dr. Holzer himself, and so you know it, it's able to see kind of like now the field is almost shifting back to the way that that he was investigating, and people a little bit more are uh, are not you know they're they're not using as much equipment. I'm feeling. I mean, you guys might find it different where uh, you know the people that you're speaking to, but I'm finding that a lot more people are are um, kind of skimming down their equipment and using cameras and recorders and video recorders and not using it, uh, thermometers and, and EMF meters as much as they were two, three years ago. Well, what I'm noticing is um, uh, they still use all the equipment, but I've discovered that a lot of them have figured out it's hard to carry all of this stuff all at the same time. <laughs> right, so what you right. do is you set the things down and let the data re- be recorded on whatever means it is. And, and a lot of people now are just walking around with their flashlights in one hand and their you know voice recorder in the other. And they may have a lanyard around a small you know pocket camera that they can pop up and flash, but they've basically, you're right, stripped down the equipment and set set it up around the room rather than trying to carry everything or set it set it up in a manner in which it can be recorded remotely. And they're going back yeah, it, to, to just themselves. You are correct. And it, it's something that I've been talking about kind of ever since um, Picture Yourself Ghost Hunting came out when a lot of people wanted to talk tech with me. 
and I started to realize that, you know, as, a, as investigators, um, you know, observation has got to be so much of what we do. And as a scientist, I know that you rely on equipment for a lot of what you do, but it's you <laughs> observing the equipment uh, right. and not relying on the equipment, which makes, you know, the, which makes the observations, which makes the leaps in any kind of field that is looking to gain information by looking. Um, and by testing, and so and so, I've, I've kind of been <laughs> spent the past year on the uh, you know strip down your equipment uh, trail, kind of telling people you know it's it's okay to have equipment, but I really think that should be secondary to um, actually observing and using your kind of natural senses of when you know you feel something or don't feel something, but then also just you know what are your eyes seeing, what is your nose smelling, what are your what are your ears hearing as opposed to relying on a tape recorder necessarily to pick all that up or a camera to capture that. The problem with that is if you go out in the field with the motivation to get evidence to present to someone, whether that's someone who you're, you're working for and like if someone has asked you to come into their house or whether that's just trying to prove something to the field, um, you know, if being an evidence society now, we sometimes don't think that what we hear and see with our own eyes is as important anymore. Well... Uh, I've always looked at it like this, and this is basically what wound up happening. People started off using their own body as a tool, and then eventually people started picking up equipments. All, all the equipment is is just an augmentation of your natural senses. Your tape recorder is an extension of your ears to record what, what you potentially hear. Your you know cameras and uh, night vision are just extension of your eyes. Your thermocouples and thermometers and, you know, FLIR systems are just an extension of your skin, which feels the heat as well as your, you know, the EMF fields and stuff like that. These pieces of equipment are only just there to augment what you, your body already feels. If you want to say it's detached and uh, not subjective to imagination and stuff like that, but it's just an extension of what you, you, the body already feels. And we got to run into a news break. So uh, we'll come back on that. All right, Chris? Oh, sounds great. All right. Hey, Maddie, when you're ready, we can uh, break for the news. Spooky South Coast is back. It's Saturday night. I have no date. A two-liter bottle of Shasta and my all-rush mixtape. Let's rock. I can smell your fear. I'm not afraid. You will be.
is open. You're listening to The Haunted Headlines, your source for the stories making waves in the paranormal news. Sponsored by GhostVillage.com at www.GhostVillage.com backslash news. Good evening, this is Chris Balzano and you're listening to The Haunted Headlines, Ghost Village's weekly trek around the paranormal newswire to bring you the biggest stories affecting the ghostly community. And of course, the biggest story in the paranormal this week has been the passing of a ghost hunting legend. Pioneer Hans Holzer died last Sunday, April 27th, at his Manhattan home. He was reported to have been suffering from an undisclosed illness for quite some time. Holzer was one of the paranormal community's most recognizable and prolific figures, authoring more than 120 books on the subject and laying down the groundwork for most of the investigators who followed. The community found out about the passing on Tuesday, and memorials and good thoughts flooded the Internet, even from people who spent time railing against the native Austrian. You can read Ghost Villages on the news site at www.ghostvillage.com, as well as experience Jeff Belanger's interview with the legend. There has been another unexplained occurrence in a school outside of the United States worth mentioning. According to the Star Online, the cutting down of a tree may have brought on the paranormal at the SMK Langer in Alor Sitar in Malaysia. Since the tree has been removed, students there have spotted the ghostly figure of a woman with long hair. But there has been incidents where multiple people have seen her that has brought attention to the haunting. Twice during the past week... Large groups of teenage females have seen the figure during singing practice, making the sighting more credible. As one student puts it, I could not take a good look at her face, but it was scary and terrifying. There are no reports as to the action which will be taken at the school to handle the ghost or to replant the tree. It seems every week there's another famous person talking about a ghost, and usually they have a ghost project they're trying to sell. This one might be a little bit different. In addition to having to deal with the spotlight and Simon Cowell's seething comments, this year the contestants on American Idol may be dealing with a ghost. Every year the hopefuls stay in a house together during the singing competition. But according to People, the Bel Air mansion they are in this year has had someone else living with them. Alston contestant Anoop Desai says many of them have had experiences, especially Alston Arita, who believes the spirit lives in her room. The ghost named Phyllis has been known to pull practical jokes and bang around the house. Although she has not seen the ghost herself, Lil Rounds, another booted singer, says the contestants describe her, quote, like a white shadow walking across the room. Although the story has been picked up by several media outlets, only a few former contestants have spoken up about it, and the show will not be current contestant. Those are your haunted headlines for this week. Make sure to stop by the Ghost Village news site to learn more about these stories and others at www.ghostvillage.com backslash news. I'm Chris Balzano, and that's what's haunting me. Spooky. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Welcome back. How are you doing? Excellent. Is it weird hearing your voice over the uh, on the head- haunted headlines and then realizing that you're on the phone at the same time? Uh, actually, I haven't been able to hear anything for about seven minutes since you guys put me on hold. Oh, excellent. Really? Good. Then it worked out right. <laughs> <laughs> Am I in the air right now? Just Windows? So I don't know. Yes. Yes. Welcome right, back, good, Chris. <laughs> good radio. <laughs> They put us in charge. Hello. I know, that's true. 
Well, then again, I'm I... supposed to be keeping a keeping a rain on you, though. Oh, oh okay. There's no stopping what can't be stopped. <laughs> that, that's foolish. I know, I know. The but, inmates run the asylum. Yeah, that's it, that's it. Well, I haven't been in this asylum for the past going on three weeks, actually. Um, I've been out in the field helping out and doing a whole bunch of stuff, but it, it's good to be back. And um, getting back to what we're discussing, one of the things I noticed while I was out doing all of this stuff is, yeah, there is a great deal of people stripping down their equipment and just going back to simple basic things. And, and, and I think the unfortunate thing is is that many of those investigators will not get necessarily depressed because they don't have the fantastic evidence to roll out. Um, you know, and it's, it's all, what are you doing this for? Um you know, what are you trying to accomplish by investigating the paranormal? Are you trying to prove to other people? Are you trying to prove to yourself? Are you trying to prove to um, to help someone who might be experiencing something? These kind of all run how you approach uh, getting out there in the field uh, and how you approach evaluating evidence. And some and people... So it all depends on, on how you want, what kind of investigator you want to be, I think, is so much molded by who you're doing it for. And uh, you left out one group that uh, seems to be on the rise, people out there to help those that have already, you know, that they're going there to investigate, to look to help them carry on further or move beyond, which has become a big thing, I guess, lately. Uh, Yeah, and, you know, it's it's weird. I've I've gotten into contact, as as many people know. uh, Tim and I have started this business called Pair Relations. We're working on a, uh, a PR firm for... Um, for people who have something to kind of give to the paranormal field, whether it's a book or it's a movie or if it's, you know, a radio program, something. Uh, and one of the people that I've been in contact with is this amazing gentleman from the, from the Midwest out of uh, Illinois named Rob Conover. And um, Rob Conover is almost kind of like a, a fixer. He, he basically uh, almost makes a living doing this, uh, going in and settling things down once paranormal investigators have gone in there, uh, riled everything up, they can confirm that it's haunted uh, by evidence that they get, uh, but they can't help anybody. Uh, and so what you're seeing are some people that are now entering the field. And oddly enough, these are usually people who are, uh, A, uh, not uh, equipment-heavy. In other words, they're people who are using their intuitive uh, abilities or they're, somehow they can communicate with spirits. Uh, and, B, they're older people, people who have been in the field longer. Uh, and they're coming in, coming kind of have to fix up some of the, the messages we've been making. And Rob is an amazing man. He's known as the real deal. It's funny because he, um, he, he says, you know, very, he's a very Midwestern. He's, he's, you know, kind of got that, you know, it can take him an hour to tell you a 10 minute joke. <laughs> um, but it, uh, when he says when he goes into a place, it's fixed. It's like, well, what happens in the second investigation? He's kind of like, well, there is no second investigation. Once I'm done, it's fixed. Um, and he's flying all across the country doing this, and it's, it's amazing because I'm hearing more and more people like that that are out there getting that kind of work done. Um, and I think that that's a shift. I think that, um, you know, for so long it was just about, yes, we can say we experienced something, so we're stamping your, your residence or your historical location, uh, potentially extremely haunted. Okay, well, now what? Well, now I'm going home. Have a wonderful night, you know. Um, so it's interesting to see the field kind of ebb and flow, even as we're as we're kind of uh, knee deep in it. Uh, I agree. Well, there there have been people out there that have, you know, looked to quell things down for years as well. I mean, you have 
obviously the Warrens that have been at it, John Zaffis, you know, uh, as up to recent times, like people like Adam Bly and uh, Andrew Calder, who was on our show last week, I believe. Uh, the, these people have been out there for a while, but they deal mainly with more demonic and things like that. You're talking about the average, you know, Uncle Joe and Aunt Mary who's still kicking around type of uh, haunting. Is that what you're referring to? Helping yeah, well, although some of them, I'm not sure if I'm quite comfortable labeling all of them demonic, um, but some of them are downright frightening, um, and people are going in. So it's not necessarily, uh, you know, a clash with uh, the forces of hell, but it's stuff that's been freaking the people out who have been experiencing it. Yeah, so as not necessarily nice people cross over, too, you know, and wind up being ghosts if, if that's the theory that you follow, that it's people. Uh, that's the other thing. A lot of people are not really, you know, bought or sold on one answer or another as to what, you know, ghosts are. You know, other people will call them demons. You know, they're demons in disguise. Other people, you know, they're, they're different things to different people. I guess that depends upon the culture and, you know, belief systems and things like that and personal experience, I guess. I think one of the things that really kind of shifted me in the paranormal field was uh, were the investigations that we did at the Samuel West House. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure if you've revealed some of the other stuff that's, that's kind of been floating out there about that, but the conversations that, we, that Mike Markowitz uh, was able to record in that house right. have... And I think if you hear them uh, and, you, and you kind of have them dictated to you what's being said, it's hard not to look at the paranormal differently after that. But what you really see is that there is a consciousness um, from many, many spirits that are out there um, and that the baggage that they had in life only kind of intensifies as they move on. So there's a lot of grief and a lot of anger and a lot of these kinds of things we can motivate people. And I can tell you, like, you know, it, it, some of that stuff in the Samuel West house made me kind of question whether or not ghosts act like ghosts because as people they learned how ghosts act, <laughs> you know, and that they're, they're supposed to do certain things and they're supposed to act a certain way. Um, and so if you're uh, dead and you're angry and you were a miser in life um, and you, you know that, you know, you, you are, or you feel that you're not able to pass over because of those things, it gets you more angry. And, you know, what may be, would maybe an outburst, uh, would maybe an adult tantrum or even a child's tantrum, when you don't know who's doing the tantrum, when you can't see, uh, all you see is the resulting violence. Right. It very easily, I think, in many cases, can be labeled demonic when really it's just, I mean, you should see my son when he flips out, you would think something was possessing him. Now imagine you can't see him flipping out, all you see is the stuff breaking or the, or the, the sounds being made. That's very frightening, and I think that too quickly, um, and I feel a lot of this has to do with with the media for the past 20 years, 30 years, uh, too quickly people automatically want to jump on, you know, the dark forces from from uh, from the other realm. Where it could be just simple human frustration. I'm trying to get your attention. You're not listening and throwing, wind up throwing something, and that's all the person sees is something being thrown or, you know, you know what I mean? The person gets finally hit, you know, like, hey, wake up. And the person is like, oh, I'm all of a sudden getting assaulted now. And it's just the person trying to get your attention. Not necessarily. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if you want evidence of this, of course, you can never really do this. But if you want evidence of this, take a tape recorder um, to 
a juvenile detention facility right at the time, and did start recording right at the time that, um, that someone who's extremely angry is restrained. Now take that and compare it to some of these sounds that we're getting, that we're picking up on tape recorders that we're, that we're labeling demonic. Um, the growling, um, the, 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 the burst of energy and violence that seems to come out you know, in an auditory form. Compare the two things side by side, uh, and they're very close. They're very similar. Well, you worked um, in a juvenile uh, setting like that, so you have a bit of experience in this, I believe, correct? And oddly enough, like a restraint um, is never pleasant, and it's never uh, it's never not emotional. The number one thing that happens, and I'm, I'm maybe it's not true for adult prisoners, but I can tell you, and I worked with prisoners from the age of 13 to 20 and 364 days. There was never a restraint that I was involved in that the kid didn't cry afterwards, burst into tears, sobbing. Um, <laughs> and that's a huge emotional outburst. But now imagine all of that's involved, and you can't see the person. Right. That kind of energy being released, those sounds being made, that those things being slammed and and pushed, um, and that you know that's <laughs> especially if you're if you're experiencing that and you know nothing about the paranormal, um, and your mind doesn't really even want to come to that as a possible explanation. Seeing those things in your own house, I mean, it's almost impossible not to be frightened. Uh, we got somebody coming up on the line. Let me think we can check it out and see who it is, Mr. Costa. Um, why don't we do that after the break? Okay. How about that? Yeah, we'll come back to that after the break, um, which should be, what, in about another five minutes? Um, yeah, give or take. Whatever oh, you feel like. Okay, but getting back to what you're saying about restraint, Chris. Um, mm-hmm. Now, what you're trying to say is these people on the other side are restrained in the sense they can't communicate, and it's that type of frustration that's that's being exhibited. That's what you're what you're trying to postulate. Well, I, I think that if you have someone who's angry, um, and you have someone who can't communicate in a normal sense, they can't have sit down and have a conversation with you, and they were a jerk, <laughs> and they may or may not have been a jerk in real life, but. Uh, or, or in their, their actual life, but imagine like the, 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 the grumpy person, the person that no one gets along with, the person that everyone kind of pushes aside. Um, now imagine years of frustration built up, and now they're trying to communicate, and it gets to a boiling point and explodes. Um, that's what I'm talking about. Another probably even a better example would be um, if you've ever seen footage or worked with autistic children um, who can't communicate. And if you look at the two people communicating with each other, in other words, the adult who's trying to communicate to their son who's autistic, the autistic kid who's trying to communicate something and can't, um, and as the level of frustration rises, the energy between the two of them becomes tangible, becomes tangible in the air, and then all of a sudden at some point it explodes, and both of them, one's, more be- you know, one's better at restraining themselves and one's better at kind of holding back that emotion, but the other one explodes into violence. That's a very probably... Um, similar relationship to the living and the dead if they have that kind of consciousness and that kind of awareness they want to communicate potentially and they can't um or they are just so upset that they want to communicate the fact that they're upset by just slamming something um you know they don't necessarily want to sit down and have a conversation with you <laughs> but but they're they're angry and they're frustrated and they're mad um you know and these are reasons why this is why many times in the paranormal we know through stories, not necessarily through evidence, but many times in the paranormal, um, when 
something has changed, for example, renovations or, or changes have been made to a house or uh, there are relationships within the house that are strained that might reflect perhaps a relationship the person had in life. When those things happen, the paranormal activity goes up. Well, those are levels of frustration. Those are times of frustration for the living. So imagine being dead and not being able to, to vent that to someone. These are the kind of situations, I think, that cause the violent, many of the violent paranormal outbursts. I think you uh, bring up a very valid point. Uh, I have a daughter that has uh, autism, uh, high-functioning autism, but when you're talking about when she's trying to communicate certain things and she gets frustrated when she can't express it or you're not being able to grasp what she's trying to get across because autism is a very um, misunderstood uh, condition. That's the best way I'll put it. Uh, We really don't know all that much about autism. So uh, we're getting off off track here, but I understand what you mean about the the frustration level building to a point where an outburst occurs. And this is what you're saying is happening in certain houses. You know, the things are being changed. So they, they, they're getting aggravated because they are not able to stop the change, participate in it, or understand why it's happening. Is that right? Right. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, yeah, I think I think that many of these paranormal places that people are going and investigating, um, and they're going in and they're kind of jiggling around with with equipment, but what they're really doing is jiggling around with emotions. Um, and there might be a, a situation where now a, a person on the other side, a person who has passed, thinks that they can communicate. So now imagine you have been able to communicate, now you think you can communicate, or translators come in, um, and they can't hear you either. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's one of the reasons why there's so much activity after investigators go in as well. I've also noticed, for myself personally, usually I can tell whether something is in, you know benign or not, you know. A lot of cases, you know, little things will happen, and it, it's more amusing. It's trying to, you know, it's looking for its attention. Usually negative cases, uh, things that are really, truly, like, you know, nasty, they're, they're nasty from the get-go, you know, from the moment you walk in. You know what's happening. You, you, you got that feeling, and or there is a personal attack, like what happens to, you know, good old Tim when he goes into the Lizzie Borden house with us, you know, he, that place loves to beat the heck out of him. So, and, I, and I think that, you know, re- regardless of everything we just talked about, that there are darker, deeper forces. There are such things right. as, you know, what we've now labeled kind of demons. I think those places do exist. And uh, I think when that kind of violence gets risen, um, that they like that. And that's, then they come and kind of uh, dine on that, if you will. Well, that's been their history throughout, you know, their, their recordings, you know, since we've been documenting them way back, you know, thousands of years ago. So, And, and I think I've, I've talked about this before because it's just one of the most amazing uh, paranormal stories um, that was kind of related to me was uh, when Jackie Barrett, when her and I were having a conversation, she talked about this little boy who had been abused and locked in his basement. Um, and he used to have little imaginary playmates. And when she went down there to investigate, because he still lived in the house as an adult, she found um, him as a little boy still trapped down there, his energy as a little boy trapped down there, and his playmates were demons. 
and and these demons were actually keeping they were feeding the, the spirit energy so that it would remain so that the sorrow and the and the anger of the little boy kept feeding them and it was this cycle that was playing itself over and over again that was then seeping through kind of the, the floorboards up into the house and affecting this person's life as an adult. That's really your childhood creeping up on on you to, to affect you. That is interesting. Intriguing. Uh, I, I'd like to hear more about that case um, when you and I get a chance to get together. Now, uh, are there any places that you're going to be uh, coming up to or uh, investigating or uh, events that you're going to be at? Uh, no, I actually was supposed to be uh, in Indiana this summer, but that's been canceled. So I'm about, uh, you know, between the end of this sentence and the next week probably having my second child. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so I, I really put kind of a... Uh, a lot of the, the touring around and speaking, and, and especially going up to Massachusetts on hold for now. But uh, but hopefully I'll be able to get up there. I'm definitely coming up to the Monster Mash um, in the fall, but hopefully I'll be able to get up there before then and, and definitely after then and get some investigating done then. And, and now um, Schiffer's asked me to write a book about this area uh, down here in, in, in southwest Florida. Um, and so hopefully I'll be have a, next time I come on I'll have a lot of good Florida stories with some of the investigators around here that I've already kind of made contact with. You're going to have a lot of story about uh, Seminole Indian stuff, you know, um, obviously because of the area. Um, Seminoles have been down there, you know, greeting people like Ponce de Leon. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah and, and, um, and I'm, I'm actually tracking um, spirits which seem to be uh, somewhat like Pukwudgies. So I'm sure it's a, it's a rose by any other name kind of circumstance and seeing if we can kind of connect these experiences, which I'm already starting to record with experiences from up north and the Midwest that I'm getting in California, and we can really kind of see this whole network of puck wudginess stretching across the country and beyond. Well, I talked to you about this uh, before. You know, my feelings is it also extended its way over in Europe. Europe had its, you know, its elves and its, you know, gnomes and... Uh, these small wee people that were mischievous and this and that, uh, you know, sprites and fairies and things of that nature. It, it's all—it's interesting that all of these cultures throughout the world have these kind of things. Over here, they're Pukwudgies or whatever name you, they, the indigenous people chose to give them, but they're, they're worldwide, aren't they? Yeah, and, and I think if, if people... Now, here's a little plug for you guys. If people actually want to go to your message board um, and keyword, I think it's Oz Spirits. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a whole uh, there's a whole um, a thread that's out there between a man in Australia and um, and Luann, and <laughs> there's a picture of what's in Australia known as an Oz Spirit, which was very much in description and kind of sparked by our conversation about Pukwudgie. So this gentleman put it up there, and they actually have a festival there. Well, I showed that to a few people, this picture on, on, the, on your message board, to a few people who have had experiences that are kind of are, are very much like puck wedgie experiences. Um, and about 75% of them almost were, like, taken aback by how close that picture was to what they had experienced. So this is definitely something that stretches across the entire country then of course, the entire globe. Exactly. Now, uh, getting back to Hans Holzer here and his passing, uh, you've noticed a great deal of um, traffic about this on the Internet as well as in the community. What do you think other people 
felt about Mr. Holzer, in your opinion, what the, what you've heard? Uh, I'm not quite sure of the question. What do I think of what people have responded with? Yes. Very respectful. Um, you know, and of course, that's always the way it kind of goes when, when someone passes. We remember uh, their extremes, and, and fortunately, the man had no real negative extremes except for maybe for some, some personal things. Um, but it really has been this kind of overwhelming feeling of, you know, like, wow, you know, I just experienced something. The weird thing is, I've gotten so many people that have responded to me that said it's weird that he passed because I just felt compelled to buy one of his books or I was just reading one of his books and I did something different in investigation uh, and then all of a sudden now you're telling me he's dead. And so there seems to be almost like this psychic little burst that happened, um, especially like last weekend right before he passed, where people have had these odd kind of uh, synchronicity kind of experiences that are connected to Hans Holter and then uh, he passed. Uh, and so they somehow feel as if, you know, there was something communicating with them that um, that whatever this book is or whatever this kind of lesson that he was teaching in a certain book is, they need to pay attention to that. So that's really the, the one that I've experienced on a personal level with responses, especially to the, uh, the tribute that I put up. Well, that's interesting because over the past couple of weekends I've been helping, you know, teaching, you know, and leading ghost hunts and this and that. And I found myself referencing uh, Hans Holzer's stuff at least a dozen times and then you know these weekends are over and then i i hear about this death and i was like this is extremely strange and you're right nobody really had a bad word to say about him now everybody has their own opinions about various other people in the paranormal but he was generally well liked by everybody a skeptic and you know true believer alike it was really really a uh, down-to-earth man that was way ahead of his time, I think, in a lot of uh, a lot of areas. And I, and I think the interesting thing is there's either one or two reasons for that. Either there's some kind of psychic connection to him um, or some kind of psychic energy running because of him, which is interesting, or, <laughs> or the other probably more realistic thing is the guy just ha had such an influence that it's impossible to look at a bookshelf with ghost books and not see some of his there. Um, or to be reading something and not have something connect to you, and then you, and then all of a sudden you, you, you realize that he's passed away. So it's either psychic or it's very realistic, but either way, it's kind of a tribute to how much of an influence he had over the people who are kind of now working in the field. And I think that, like I said before, the biggest influence that would be would probably to make ghosts and the paranormal not so out there for people who were on the fence about things. Uh, in other words, people like my parents, who wouldn't necessarily uh, consider themselves true believers, and yet they would pick up a, a pick up one of his books and read it, and kind of allow for a moment of pause and consideration that these things might actually be real. Yes, he took it out of the realm of a parlor game type of, uh, you know, right. cheap and at trick the same time, and moved it that on. parlor game aspect of it as well. So. Mm -hmm. uh, I think you're correct, and uh, Matt's let me know here that uh, up against a break that we got to take, and uh, we'll be back in a couple of minutes. Spooky South Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Matt Moniz here with Matt Costa and 
on the line, we have Christopher Balzano. We're talking about the passing of Hans Holzer and anything paranormal. If you'd like to join in, our numbers are 508-996-0500 in the New Bedford area, 508-291-0500 in the Wareham area. Now, Chris, you there on the line, I assume? Oh, I'm still with you, Matthew. All righty. Just making sure that, you know, the technology here in the studio, you've been here. Sometimes that hamster is, you know, <laughs> gets a little tired. I also know the reception here in uh, Cape Coral, Florida, so. Ah. It's a blessing we're all still connected. <laughs> I, I hear that. I hear that. Yes, I remember reading a bunch of Hans Holzer stuff uh, uh, back in, like, junior high school and high school. Uh, his stuff was some of the only stuff that you could get a hold of, you know, a uh, combination between him and, you know, a handful of other people. And he he always had a, a way of writing about him that made it easy to read, you know. Uh, it was It was easy for people to, you know, sympathize with this guy and identify with him because he wrote it in a... a in the first-person human form, you know, my experience with this and this and that. and That's what made it compelling rating, at least for me. Um, yeah, and I think he, he did that with ease, which is, which is the trouble. But he also did it with uh, uh, almost always not sounding arrogant or self-important. Um, so there's a lot of paranormal writing especially that puts it forth that whoever's doing the speaking is, you know, God's gift. Um, which is why, you know, as a as a rule, I try to when I'm telling a story, never kind of put myself in it, uh, or never use the word I at least as, as few as little as possible. Um, but he was able to do that and yet and have it come off as not being arrogant and not being kind of self-serving, but rather to make it, as we talked about before, more human and more able to kind of identify with the reader. And and like I said before, the amazing thing was that the, the reader that you're talking about could have been someone who was in the field for 20 years kind of rediscovering some of the, his early work or or you know catching up on his latest work or someone who was going through the aisle at a bookstore and thought that it would be an interesting read uh, who had no kind of previous exposure to the paranormal um, and to have both of those people be able to read the same book and come away with something maybe something different but both come away with something uh, is a real testament to, to who he was as not only an investigator to me more importantly as a writer Hmm. What do you think, Maddie? I I think uh believe it or not we have uh Mr. Tim Weisberg on the phone. Why I'm not we, sure. Why don't we bring him up? Hey Tim, you out there? Oh, I'm here. Are you guys looking for game seven analysis or Sure, why not? <laughs> well the Celtics won, so who knows what that's gonna do for next week's schedule. Um <clears throat> the good news is the Celtics will probably be away. Next weekend, so I should be able to be back in the studio when we're on our regular time. Now, this is a weird sensation, me actually being in the studio and you out in the field. It is a little strange. Uh, I was listening to the beginning of the show. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, of course, uh, right around the you know two-minute mark left in the fourth quarter, I could no longer hear what you were saying <laughs> because <laughs> the whole building was exploding. But uh, you know, I, I was able to catch a little bit of the program, and, and, and I want to say uh, that you know, I'd like to extend my personal condolences to the Holzer family, as, as I have earlier in this week. And I just want to say that it is a huge loss uh, for the paranormal world. The last few years since we've been on the air, we lost Hans and we lost uh, Ed Warren. 
So, uh, you know, we're down two of the pioneers, but we have a lot of good people picking up the slack. I agree. I want, to be right now that, I want to be said right now that when you originally called in, I thought it was you, and I thought they should have picked up your phone call immediately. I just want that to be <laughs> out there right now. I, I sent Matt an email saying I was getting big-timed on my own show. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, fine. I had to run into the lot anyway and, and, uh, and try and have a conversation with uh, a couple of the players. It, it's kind of funny because you'd never guess, but the subject of Bigfoot came up here at the Garden tonight because uh, before the game they were talking about whether or not Kevin Garnett would play. There were rumors that he would play. And Doc Rivers said, you know, who's next? Sasquatch is going to come out and suit up and play on the court, so... Obviously, you know, Saturday night, Doc Rivers is thinking spooky South Coast. You know, so he, he starts thinking about uh, cryptozoology. Yeah. Lauren Coleman would be proud. I, I, uh, I'm afraid Lauren was probably watching the Red Sox, though. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Lauren, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure he was very happy with that result. But, uh, I mean, I mean, Matt, I haven't really had a chance to talk to you this week about, about uh, the death of Dr. Holzer. I mean, how did he impact... You, I'm sure you guys covered this earlier, but I mean, how did he impact the way you go about things? Because I know, like myself, he didn't always see eye to eye with him. Well, uh, I took, I'm, I'm one of these people, I'll take what I want out of it and what I liked. He had a lot of good, good theories and a lot of good uh, practices on a personal level. Uh, you know, as a scientist, I like a little bit more hard recordable data, but it doesn't mean that what he put together wasn't as valid you know, on a personal level, and that's what Chris and I were just talking about. A lot of people have, you know, shall we say, stripped down on equipment and just gone to the basics and setting the equipment to the side and letting it do its own things, just using their own body as the means in which to, you know, do the documentation, at least for themselves. Uh, correct, Chris? Yeah, yeah, and I think that, you know, as it, it must be hard as a scientist to... Uh, to be able to read something that you want to apply science to uh, and come away with, with that personal side of it and kind of not cringe at the, at the lack of science. Well, I look at it this way. Um, when I go into a place, a lot of times I'm using myself as the instrument first. If I'm picking up something with my own body because I know my body best, then it tells me whether I should bring equipment in afterwards to continue on with the investigation. I mean... right. right. May, may make sense to other people as well, but this is what I do personally. If I don't feel anything, why am I going to waste the time to go back and, you know, if I'm not going to get anything? Because this equipment, uh, as you guys know, is expensive and it's cumbersome and it, it, a whole number of things. And why why spend the energy if it's not going to yield any results personally? See, I, I can give you an opposite example of that, Matt, because, I mean, I myself don't, claim to really be sensitive enough to what's going on. Obviously, you have become attuned to it over the years of investigating. You kind of know when something's not quite right. Uh, but myself, you know, only being a few years into this, uh, the first time that Matt Costa and myself went to Lizzie Borden's house, you know, we walked out of there saying, there's no ghosts here. This place isn't haunted. And, uh, of course, we were definitely dead wrong on that, <laughs> <laughs> considering all the evidence we've gathered there uh, over the years. But I mean, to me, when I go in, I want to have the equipment because I don't trust my senses enough yet. And I'm sure there's a lot of, you know, new investigators or, or extremely amateur investigators who probably are of the same school of thought where, you know, my, I'm not finally tuned into it yet, so I need to have 
you know, a little bit extra documentation. It's one thing if I feel something. It's another thing if the EMF meter or the K2 meter or something else is uh, is validating what I'm feeling. Well, you see, I started back in the day before all this equipment was available. I, you know, so I had to acclimate myself to being able to be the meters. Do you, do you think it's too much of a crutch for people? Do you think, uh, you know, they're not developing those senses? I, I Yes. Uh, I will have to say yes. Yeah, I'll agree with that. And um, they've become too reliant on just the instrumentation. Like I said, I think the instrumentation is just augmentation of your natural abilities. Like I said, the recorder for your hearing. The You have the EMF meters and other thermometers to represent what your skin feels and, and so on. You know, cameras well, for your the, eyes. The interesting thing also, though, that, that what Matt's talking about is not necessarily you know, that psychic tingle uh, you might get from location. I think it also that initial walkthrough, which many investigators don't do with very, very little equipment, uh, getting the story in the actual location from the people who experienced it, you're also, during that time, observing uh, environmental conditions that you can completely say, oh, wow, dude, of course they're having cold stuff. The house is like the worst insulation ever. Um, things that you can kind of, you know, um, come out and be able to explain things to them very quickly. And then also... Your BS meter is running crazy. Um, so if you go into a place and you, you know, you're not necessarily getting a, a psychic feeling from it, but you can tell from the people and the way that they're acting and their story, and maybe it's conflicting with what they told you originally, um, that they might be creating a story or they may, may be making mountains out of molehills. So it's not just, um, you know, am I feeling that this place might be haunted? It's also finding those very logical and natural reasons for things and kind of judging the people who are telling you that it's haunted. Well, Matt, I'd like to go back to something you said a minute ago about the recorder actually augmenting um, what it is that you're hearing with your own ears. But, I mean, as, as we've proven time again, uh, you all often pick up things with the recorder that you won't pick up with your own ears. That's what I'm saying. A lot yeah. of this instrumentation. So when you say augmenting, though, I, I just just to be clear, you mean you know, to get those ranges that you can't reach, not just, you know, in case you were listening and you didn't quite hear something, something didn't catch your attention. You're talking about, you know, expanding your frequency range to beyond what your ears can normally Correct. hear. Correct. Yeah. That's what augmentation means, to add on or well, just like I mean, that, yeah. It could also mean to, to, you know, expand upon, you know, what's already there in terms of, you know, just... Uh, uh, picking up everything that's going on. For example, you know, when I was trying to listen to the show during the, the game, I didn't really pick up everything that was going on in the game. <laughs> so thank God I have DVR to augment that when I get home. There you go. So, uh, I mean, it, the, the bad thing about this is I think there's a lot of people who didn't get a chance to realize who Hans Holzer was. Um, and and you, you guys know I've talked about this with you. Him and I didn't always see eye to eye. We didn't always have the best conversations when I – would call him to try to get him to come on the show or for whatever mm. reason. Uh, and that was kind of, you know, he became a little curmudgeon in his, uh, in his old age. But uh, it's another one of these uh, investigators who you have to know who he is. You have to know the work that he did. You can't just go into the field, you know, Jason and Grant, Jason and Grant, Jason and Grant. It's got to be, you know, the people who inspire them as well. Exactly. And I think one of the, the best things that he, he gave to the field was adding the, uh, the, the additional whys. Um, and so a lot of paranormal investigators go out there and maybe even say they can find some kind of evidence to say that there might be something there. Um, they maybe even present that evidence, but they don't ask the question of, well, why is it haunted? Or what does this mean in the bigger picture? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so that those initial questions, you know, once again, dealing with a three-year-old, why, why, why? Um, and, and Holzer was able to address, Holzer was able to address a lot of those questions beyond just you've gotten the evidence. Um, there's more of the questions of what, not only, you know, why are we, why is, why is this important, but also what does it mean for us as humans? If you, if you look at some of these interviews that he's done the last, you know, few years, uh, Jeff's included on, on ghostvillage.com, you know, there's not a whole lot of, you know, I don't knows and we're not sures. I mean, he seemed to have come to a point in his life where he had definitive answers of what he thought was going on. Was it always popular? Was it always what the, you know, majority agreed upon? Not at all. But he found what he found and he went with that. And I think, uh, you know, ultimately he's more at peace with his work in the paranormal than anybody else will ever be. Good point. Good point. All right, guys. Well, I'm going to let you uh, go and, and finish the show because I have to get out of the garage before when I am, or I have to pay an extra day's charge. So. And we only have a few more minutes left. Thank you for joining us, Tim, and uh, we'll be glad to have you back in the studio next week, hopefully. I'll be there. All righty. Okay. Have a safe ride. Have a wonderful day. And that was Tim Weisberg, host of Spooky South Coast out out in the field uh, covering the Celtics. Uh, he brought up some good points there, Chris. Uh, I, I mean, Mr. Holzer had his uh, ways set, and he was comfortable with them. And I think it's us as uh, the people that are left that have to decide if we're just as comfortable with what we feel about. Well, I think I think we should be comfortable with the inquisitive nature um, of his work hmm. um, and not necessarily, like, in other words, I don't agree with you, but I love the steps that you took to get there. Um, and so, like I said, so many people don't ask the whys. It's all very, you know, um, it's all, you know, philosophy, correct me if I'm wrong, philosophy is a science. Well, um, yeah. Is that, you know what I'm saying? Like, so in other words, it, it should be an extension of the, the science that you're applying to the field should also be um, evaluating these types of questions and evaluating what exactly this means. Um, because... When you start looking at those, you can approach a haunting in some kind of context, which I believe makes you a better investigator. Hmm. Now, uh, Mr. Holzer did a number of books, a number of films and things like that. One of the things he did was a um, television thing, if I'm not cr- correct, Matty. Didn't he do um, an In Search Of? He did. In uh. Search Of, yep. Now, what did you think of it, his little appearance on it? The in search of? Yeah. Um, I thought it was very well done for the time. Yeah. you got to remember, that's the 70s. So oh, yeah. yeah it, it, there was some uh, good production values. Yeah. <laughs> but. Well, we're coming up to the end of the show, Chris. Is there anything that uh, you want us to, you know, promote for you coming up on uh, ghostvillage.com or pararelations? Uh, well, yeah. I'd actually like to say that I am... Uh, beginning work on kind of in many ways a follow-up to picture yourself ghost hunting. Um, Need help? Which entire book just on spirit photography uh, and how to take good ghost pictures and and how to um, and how to uh, evaluate them and also kind of like a history of them. Uh, so what I'm going to be doing is I'm just going to try to get into touch with as many investigators as I can, just like I did with picture yourself ghost hunting, to not only gather some of the best and worst ghost pictures that are out there. Um, but also to see and to evaluate how people feel about them. Uh, so I've created an entire survey, a questionnaire, 
that I'm trying to get out to as many investigators. So I guess to your audience, I would just like to say, if you see me on MySpace, you see it on MySpace, or you see it on the uh, uh, Ghost Village um, uh, threads, or if you see it on the uh, Spooky South Coast threads, or wherever you may see it, uh, take a minute, fill it out, send it back to me, because I really would like to have this be representative of the entire field, not just of the people that I like. Uh, we'll definitely put it up for you, Chris. No problem. Excellent. Thank you very much. And I definitely want to thank you for uh, coming in and joining us. Uh, it's always great to have you on. It's, it's always great to be on and, uh, and keep in touch with my uh, my spooky South Coast roots. All right, Chris. Have a good night, brother. You too, Matt. And Thanks. you too, Matt. Silent Matt. All right. <laughs> Take it easy. All right. Have a good night, night. guys. Bye-bye. Bye. That was Christopher Balzano. Um, you are listening to us here on Spooky South Coast. Um what do you got coming up here, man? Are you just going to uh, yeah? I roll think we're, g- we're going to uh, wrap the show up with um, well. First of all, go to spookysouthcoast.com. Go to myspace.com slash spookysouthcoast. Go to twitter.com slash spookysouth uh, spooky sc. Um, para relations newsletter. Para relations. Let's see what other plugs can we. Uh, definitely the newsletter that's going to be coming out. Sign up for that now while you have the chance. Well, you'll always have the chance, but you want to start from the beginning. And we're going to leave it on a uh, a little excerpt from that in search of that we were just talking about, where it's, uh, Hans Holzer gives uh, a few words on his theories and things like that. Excellent. So. Well, I'm Matt Moniz, in for Tim Weisberg and uh, Matt Costa. We want you all to stay spectacular. Ghosts are the surviving emotional memories of people who've died tragically and cannot leave the spot of their passing. They keep reliving their final moments over and over again, like a phonograph needle stuck in the final groove. You see, ghosts are not aware that they're dead. Over the years, I've developed some pretty foolproof methods to explore the phenomena scientifically. I've used highly sensitive cameras and even more sensitive people, psychics, to get information which will lead to the discovery of a ghost. But in all my years of ghost hunting, I have never been afraid. After all, a ghost is only a fellow human being in trouble. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. First, with local news, talk, and sports, this is WBSM New Bedford, Citadel Broadcasting, AM 1420, WBSM.